0: Support for today's episode is brought to you by Care Of. For 25% off your first month of personalized Care Of vitamins, visit TakeCareOf.com and enter the promo code ELEVATOR. Recovery Elevator, episode 192.
1: But when somebody got between me and my drinking plans for my cheat day, quote-unquote, it was not good.
0: Welcome to the recovery elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. We've got Stefan. He's 33 years old from Denver, Colorado, and has been sober since October 18th, 2017. Guys, I'm hoping to have the sign-up sheet and all the details finalized for the Nashville recovery elevator social, which is going to be taking place on February 22nd to February 24th live on the website by mid November, early December at the latest, but I have had inquiries. Can you start booking airfare? Absolutely. You're going to want to fly in early afternoon on February 22nd and then depart midday on February 24th. What are we going to do? Well, there's going to be a lot of transformational workshops, but overall, we're going to connect with other like-minded individuals and it's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, let's get started. In Sarah Heppler's book, Blackout, Which i highly recommend she has a line where she says that she feels she is constantly downgrading addictions in the addiction community this is sometimes called harm reduction i love this line and i know a lot of people can resonate with it i quit alcohol then chewing tobacco then cigarettes then add meds then antidepressants then the nighttime eating binges trichotillomania and this may sound strange but i even had to address my addiction to work exercise and avoiding the present moment. If I were to confront all of these head on, I would have been like the 2017 Cleveland Browns. I wouldn't have stood a chance. Sorry, Cleveland. This is why most of us address one addiction at a time and usually tackle what we perceive the most detrimental first. This is not a short list of things that I had to tackle, and many of you listening have done similar feats. While unpleasant and uncomfortable feelings were the norm, especially in early sobriety, things got better. As I move past each hurdle, I began to build confidence and I was even able to apply the lessons learned in quitting drinking to quitting these other vices. This is called the compound effect. I look back at this list with pride, with a sense of accomplishment, and I say to myself, yep, I got them. All of them. Nailed it. Who else wants a piece? Now all that's left to do is address the horse allergy and ride off into the sunset. And while I'm loading up the metaphorical horse to ride off into the sunset, I think, "Wait." Did I get all them? Were there any other unhealthy patterns I potentially missed? And then a random thought pops into my head. I remember when I was 8 years old and my skateboard was stolen. Whatever happened to the guy who took it? Then I think of a random trip I took in middle school to Rocky Mountain National Park. Should I have asked Danielle out on that trip? And before I can even conclude that thought, another one barges in from a separate lobe reminding me of the change oil light that just popped on in my vehicle. And with that reminder, I'm supposed to change the back rear passenger side shock at the next oil change. How much is that going to cost? What am I going to get my nephew for his birthday? Shit, I still need to book airfare for Christmas. And then, fuck, I missed one. I missed a big one. I missed perhaps the sneakiest and most dangerous addiction of them all. One that lives at the top of the list. An addiction that should have been addressed before tackling my addiction to alcohol. An addiction so pervasive that if successfully addressed, the other addictions might have just faded away. So what is this almighty addiction? Get ready for it, maple donuts. No, no, I'm just kidding. I I I wish it was that simple. The addiction is thinking. Some of you are probably saying, thinking? Addiction? Addicted to thinking, Paul? Thinking that my thinking has become addicted to my thinking. No problem. I'll think my way through this. Come on, Paul. Exactly. Let's test this addicted to thinking statement with a couple simple definitions of addiction. Here's one. The inability to stop due to lack of control. Here's a second definition. Repeated thought or actions despite negative consequences. This second definition of addiction has the past tense of thinking included in the definition how the hell did I miss this four years ago? You might be saying to yourself, wait, Paul, I need to think. My response to that is, sure. At times, you'll need to reference past experiences for clues of what action to take in the present moment. But believe it or not, this required thinking is rare. In fact, the majority of thinking can be and needs to be eliminated. Have you ever found yourself in a life-threatening situation? You don't think in moments like this. It's actually built into our DNA to have the thought process overridden. We don't think, we just act. So here's where excessive thinking can backfire. In conversations, are you really listening? The opposite of addiction is connection, and it's tough to connect when you're not listening and actively engaging in conversation. I know sometimes when I'm in conversation, my mind is really not engaged in the conversation. When we are trapped in incessant thinking, our minds often go to worst-case scenario mode get an email from your boss saying he wants to meet at 4.30 p.m. on Friday, most of us within less than a minute have already landed at worst case scenario involving us unemployed while living in the spare bedroom at our parents' house. Disease and health. Like I said, the thinking brain can take us to the worst case scenario in a matter of moments. The problem is the body doesn't realize that the end of the world scenario that we just conjured in our mind isn't real and probably never will be. When we go to worst case scenario, the body will cue the fight or flight chemical response in the body, and this repeated stress over and over, over long durations of time, will ultimately result in sickness and disease. Let's talk about thinking and relationships. I did my best not to use the three-letter word in this episode, ego, but when we are arguing in relationships, it's almost always when our thinking brains identify with a stance and thinking is like jet fuel for the ego. If there are no guardrails with our thinking within time, without fail, you'll eventually identify with your thoughts. If your thoughts tell you over and over that you're someone who struggles with alcohol and it's been and always will be a tough road ahead, then you don't need a magic eight ball to predict the future. Thinking in reference to our addiction to alcohol. Quick litmus test. Have you been able to think yourself out of this drinking problem yet? If so, you'd probably be listening to this American Life podcast right now. Gaining a break from our addiction to thinking yields such an intense inner peace that people have found ways to momentarily achieve this with high-intensity sports. Attempting to break the land speed record on the Bonneville Salt Flats in Utah while risking your life doesn't make much sense on the surface. Do you think people wake up and say, Hmm, I'm going to jump off Angel Falls with some added fabric under my arms, glide for a couple moments, and pull my chute at the last possible moment to avoid a splat? The risk-reward doesn't make sense. But does it? Actually, it makes perfect sense in that they are tapping into a profound, universal inner peace because the thinking brain momentarily shuts off. The key is to find this mindset without the need for zorbing. Apparently, zorbing is where you hop into a giant inflatable ball and your friend pushes you down a hill. Again, this makes no sense unless you've experienced that state of no thinking. And trust me, there are better ways to achieve this inner peace than zorbing. And to really drill this point, I'll be entering movie theater preview voice in three, two, one. There is a vast realm of intelligence beyond thought that cannot be sourced with the thinking mind. The beginning of freedom is the realization that you are not the thinker. You are not the voice inside your head, but the one who hears it. You begin to awaken, and this process is undeniably irreversible. Cool. If you're still with me, To conclude, I like to say, when we cease to incessantly think, you'll see that all the things that truly matter, beauty, love, creativity, inner peace, third eye blind, sorry I can't help it, arise from beyond the thought. Quiet the mind and let the heart guide you. In summary, my journey is my journey and yours is yours. They are all strikingly similar and beautifully unique. But I wish I could go back and address the thinking first, because when I look back at the hardest part about quitting alcohol and the other addictions, it was hands down dealing with the relentless thinking. Before we hear from Stefan, let's hear from today's sponsor, Care Of. Care Of's fun. Online quiz asks you about your diet, health goals, and lifestyle choices, and takes only five minutes to find out what vitamins and supplements you specifically need. 90% of people fall short of FDA-recommended guidelines for at least one vitamin or nutrient. Take care-of's quiz and get the vitamins you need to get back on track and reach your health goals. Your vitamins get delivered right to your door in personalized, easy-to-remember daily packs, perfect for a busy, on-the-go lifestyle. Track your progress with the care-of app and earn rewards when you remember to take your vitamins. Your monthly subscription box can be easily modified at any time. Vegan and vegetarian supplement options are available to match your dietary needs. Guys, making sure our bodies get the vitamins needed is crucial in recovery, especially in early sobriety. For 25% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins, visit TakeCareOf.com and enter the promo code ELEVATOR. Again, visit TakeCareOf.com and enter the promo code ELEVATOR, E-L-E-V-A-T-O-R, at checkout. And now let's hear from Stefan. Stefan, how are you?
1: Wonderful, Paul. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Yeah, great to have you, Stefan. Let's get right into this. How long have you been sober?
1: Well, I am about to celebrate. I just celebrated 10 months sober on the 18th of this month.
0: Nice job.
1: Thank you. Yes.
0: Yeah, before we get any further, give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living. Do you have a family? How old are you? And most importantly, Stefan, what do you like to do for fun?
1: Yes. Um, I'm 33 years old. I'm married. My daughter is approximately three days younger than my sobriety date, which is relevant. She's ten months old, and we are a happy family in uh, south of Denver, in Colorado. My wife is a pediatric nurse. I own a music school in Littleton, Colorado. So, and I also play music for a living, I have a lot of private gigs and weddings, and so stay busy playing just a ton of music or trying to inspire others with music and my terrible golf game (laughs) and i'm mostly from colorado to keep the story brief yes i was born in colorado so
0: gotcha we got the shitty golf game in common and talk to me about music it's so it's your it's your, your profession and you also enjoy it at the same time is that what i'm hearing right
1: yes sir yeah I feel very fortunate to have aligned something that I feel passionate about for a a number of reasons and also be able to give back kind of, it seems like something that you're able to do with this podcast is really inspiring to me as well to kind of, you know, give back something that's inspired to you is, I mean, that's a slam dunk on life. I don't really think I need much else (laughs) to be honest with you.
0: Wow. Nice job. You and like the other 1% or not a, not a big (laughs) percent of people and, uh, I'm not there yet. Stefan. I'm, I'm slowly offboarding the other projects that I got going on, but I'm excited for the future of doing just Recovery Elevator because I love it. It's so much fun. Like It's the best way. Me and you just chatting on the phone. We get to record it, recorded and a lot of people listen to it. It doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> All right. So, your daughter's birthday is uh, October 15th?
1: October 21st, I should
0: say, yeah. Okay. So 2017. Ah, yeah, I'm sure we're going to get into that shortly. I wrote that down, just wrote the date wrong October 21st. Yeah, so give listeners a little background about your drinking. Describe your drinking habits, how much you drink, did you ever attempt to quit, regulate, when did it start, and give us some times and dates. We know you're 33 now. Um, you know, so yes. walk us up to the front and let's hear it.
1: All right. Well, I started probably drinking after high school. I'm surprised to note that a lot of people that I knew were drinking in high school, but never really was a thing that crossed my plate till I became, you know, a performing musician in Denver. I met a handful of musicians that were older than me and, you know, just pretty stereotypical story about just being around people drinking beer It seemed innocent at the time, you know, 19, 20 years old, having people buy the six packs for me, you know, it just seemed like the musician lifestyle, it didn't seem like there was really any danger to it, at least when I first started. But I probably knew to be honest with myself and, and you and your listeners that I probably was an alcoholic within the first couple of years. I mean, I would just drink as much as I possibly could. I liked the way that it felt. I liked the way I could just kind of escape from reality, so to speak. Yeah, for, for the first, I would say the first four or five years, it was just exclusively beer. As much as I could get, you know, evolving to recognizing the alcohol content in a beer. So as I used to joke, I used to drink effective beers. I would drink as much cool as light. I would drink a lot of IPAs and a lot of really just potent beers. But I did try to quit several times along the way. I even had a friend who owned a liquor store. That's probably not a good thing. But I would go in and say, at like 21, I would say, I think I might be an alcoholic. He would say probably what any good friend slash owner of a liquor store would say. No, nah, man, you're good. Just keep it in check. But I, I kind of knew back then. And, it, you know, so I think I kind of roughly managed over the past, you know, roughly decade plus, you know, about 12 years.
0: Yeah, Stefan, um, let with- me ask you that question. So looking back, yeah. you'd say age 21. You'd say, okay, gosh, looking back, I had a drinking problem, alcoholic age 21. Is that about right? Sure. And then you you got sober at age thirty two or thirty three. Thirty three, yeah. I'll be thirty four here in about a week or so. So I, I yeah. find that fascinating. And it's that story, that time, that time frame parallels almost every story I've had on the podcast. Same with me. Looking back, age twenty four, age twenty three, probably age twenty two, and then I got sober <laughs> at age thirty two. <laughs> it's crazy. Wow. A decade has to pass. Anyways, keep going. But I want you to also include. Yeah. You kind of dropped in that nugget about the liquor store owner are you guys still friends today or like whatever happened with that keep going. sorry
1: oh no no that's okay geographically I don't live in that same part of town but yeah the, that that liquor store was next to a bar so I would pretty much alternate those two places <laughs> and then I became friends <laughs> with the bar Usually. I live I live behind the bar so I mean what better lifestyle quote-unquote for someone who wants to drink than to live right behind the bar it was the, it was the worst recipe I mean we would shut the place down and then stay drinking after hours and such but yeah, looking back now, it was a complete shit show.
0: Yeah, don't um, forget aspiring musician on top of that as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that kind of just goes with the recipe, right? I mean, I don't know. It seems like that's what everybody does. So you just don't really think about it as like a peer pressure thing. At least I did. not It's more like, yeah, no one no one really has a problem or whatever, but not friends with that guy, not friends with anyone from the bar anymore. I remember a time when the same people were at this bar every time I'd go, you know, and, and they'd always celebrate you walking in. You know, hey, what's up? And then... One guy was saying, We really need to go grab lunch sometime. And he would never answer my calls in the daylight hours. And looking back now, I think I've heard one of your, or more than one person on your podcast say that alcohol is the glue that binds phony
0: friendships. Yeah, so bridge the gap between the 10 years. Looking back, man, I had a drinking problem up to October 18th, 2017. Yeah,
1: I mean, I tried I tried several times. I even went through a month of sobriety. I did a sober dare with my younger sister, which was just torture because at the end of that month, we just got completely smashed.
0: I dare you, um, Stefan, to go sober yeah. for three weeks. For no! <laughs> and when was that?
1: <laughs> oh, that was probably six or seven years ago, maybe even more. And then I would just manage like a lot of people say they would do once in a while. I would not even look at it. I would just say, I'm fine. You know, I could... I could run or I could be athletic and I could quote unquote earn those times or whatever Or I would try to regulate only drink on the weekends, but that never really worked. I was thinking before, you know, we did this podcast about one of the most insane times that I tried to regulate. So I don't know if you're familiar with body for life, which is like a really good thing. They do like, you know, exercise and eat right kind of thing, Mm -hmm. but they do a cheat day and that's meant for like, you know, have the chips. (laughs) <laughs> or whatever. But I decided that Sunday would be the day that I got to drink. And I was also smoking cigarettes, which is in the distant rear mirror, because alcohol was much more of a problem for me. But yeah, for up for two or three weeks, I only drank on Sunday. And it was the most insane. I mean, it was like lining up all the beers ready for Sunday, kind of don't get in my way. I look back on that. And I was I'm not an aggressive person. But when somebody got between me and my drinking plans for my cheat day, quote unquote, it was not good. And I think, I think it was when that started happening, when that static started happening between, you know, the man that I know I am and the man I would just be during those times. Yeah. It was just, it just got so exhausting, you
0: know, uh, exhausting is the key word. And I can just imagine you on Sunday having a cheesecake and 76 Miller high lifes and, and earning it <laughs> like, Hey, I just went six days. Body for life says it's cool. <laughs> Yeah. That's, that's really just funny, brutal. You
1: know, Yes. Brutal indeed. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't mean to laugh, but it is, it was insane. It's not the kind of behavior. It doesn't say that in the book, go drink as much as you want one day <laughs> a week, you know? Yeah. I mean, adding to that, I think, you know, just kind of, you know, my, my wife and I, you know, we found out we were pregnant and some people made jokes to me about, Oh, well, Stefan, are you going to go on a nine month bender now? And so then I just took that as a key to actually do that. <laughs> um, but about yeah. seven months in, I was like, you know, cause I've shared with you now and you can kind of get a picture for how m- I was drinking almost every day Sure. before the quote nine month bender before my baby was born. But it just really was, that made it even more exhausting. Um, just kind of let my wife knew that that's the joke I was playing into is drinking all the time, drinking beer every night, you know, whatever. But getting to that point where, I just, I had this math equation in my head where on the other end of the equation, it was me being the best father I could be, you know, the best husband I could be. But what I was putting into the beginning of that math equation was not adding up, you know, being hungover, being just, just being less of myself, you know, everyone else would have considered me to be highly functioning. You know, my business is celebrating 12 years in existence, but as you, and I'm sure many of your listeners know, that's not the point. Um, Eventually just enough is enough.
0: And so you said seven months into your the nine-month binge joke that you were actually saying, hey, they, they got a good point here. <laughs> you, you, you're telling, hey, sweetheart, like, hey, my life's going to change in just a couple months. But like, what happened at month seven?
1: Well, one of the things I really hated hearing my wife say was, do you remember what you said to me last night? Mm. And it was never something, thank God, it was never something mean or spiteful but something goofy or off the wall, or, you know, just maybe not quite me. And she knew that I wouldn't remember. And I just, I hated how I felt when she would ask that question because I felt in retrospect, I felt shameful that I couldn't remember something, you know, but now I think it was because I just knew that I didn't want to have to not remember other than just normal space cadet (laughs) personality. You know what I mean? Like, I think that just that static in between my ears. you know, that, in my brain was just constantly a battle between what I, who I knew I could be and what I was doing. It, just, it was an insanity. I didn't need anyone to tell me to get sober. I just needed to figure out how to do it.
0: Sure. So it um, sounds like it your unconscious mind had this message, this program installed that says, look, when the baby's here, it's, the gig is up. And then you also realized, well, I might as well get a head start on this because I hear you know, what I know about it. It might not be that easy. So how did you do it?
1: Well, I mean, i had several failed attempts in, in trying not to pre- prepare for this. The thing that comes up, too, is I, I'm an adult with braces. <laughs> like, I'm doing a lot of things I should have done a long time ago.
0: <laughs> hey, I had braces um, when I was age 26. I lived in Colorado. I had like Denver Bronco rubber bands. So do your thing, <laughs> man. Awesome. I, I feel the pain, and I, I went through it. Awesome. That's awesome.
1: Well, I, I'm, I'm overcoming a, a lot of complications to make my smile where it needs to be. But part of it is that there's these bite turbos they put in your mouth. I don't know if you heard of those, but, but you glue them to your molar so you don't actually bite off your own brackets because I've got an overbite. This is relevant because uh, one night we had a wedding in Moab with some friends, and I stayed up to the wee hours with them. My wife's pregnant, by the way. She goes back to the cabin. I stay up all night just drinking, playing guitar, by the fire with everybody. Don't remember the last hour of it. And I woke up the next morning, and I had bitten off my bite turbos. Luckily, none of my brackets, Sorry. actually did These are like hard, yeah. welded plastic things. And it was just part of my, I don't know, my, my, my body chemistry and drinking and going to sleep and whatever. And I just woke up and I was like, this is not, this ain't cool anymore. <laughs> Especially since I'm paying for my own braces. Like, it was it's a lot of little things, Paul. I can't say that it was just the braces, but that was really like, dude, come on. That's there's that, there's the baby. Good,
0: you might be an alcoholic if line, though you bite off your own orthodontic turbo braces. Yeah. Word. gone turbo. Yeah. Blacked out guitar, fire God. bitten off turbo braces. You might be an alcoholic if man. Yeah. So you keep going?
1: Well, yeah. So I just, I, then I had some oral, oral surgery to get my wisdom teeth out. And you know, and my first question to ask them was when can I drink again? You know, like my mouth is throbbing and I'm asking my wife when it's okay to drink again. Wow. She's like, Dude, you better not drink for a while. So I just—it was that. as the baby. It was the years of memories piling up. Then I found your podcast. I I ironically just been getting into podcasts in general, so I don't remember what I searched, but it was something relevant to you know um, stop drinking or whatever. And and so I think I was—I don't remember the timeline exactly, but I think I listened to a few episodes beforehand, and I was like, I can't. These people are real. I can really do this, you know, because I had said a few times to my wife, she'd seen all of my attempts to regulate the drinking. and When I said to her a few times, I think it needs to be just no more, just done. I could tell that she was supportive, but skeptical, you know, Um, my wife being a normal drinker, she doesn't really even need to drink. She's been Mm. very supportive since I've quit. But yeah, I think it was just a combination of all those things that just finally made me feel like I couldn't do that anymore to my own brain. It was just too mentally exhausting.
0: So was there a rock bottom moment three days before your daughter was born on October 18th, 2017? Or like you said, just sick and tired of being sick and tired?
1: Mm. Well, it was all those things. And then I kind of just made an agreement with myself that I wasn't going to wake up in the middle of the night holding my infant daughter, you know, sweating out booze or being, I, I already knew what people were telling me I was going to be exhausted. And that's true. When you become a new dad, you get you get very little sleep. My whole definition of tired has changed. But I just couldn't imagine being still drunk, right, or or hungover. And just, I don't know, I just, we, with our daughter, we knew we had to schedule a C-section just because she mm-hmm. was great. She was flipped upside down. So we had the day scheduled for that Saturday. I think that Wednesday or Tuesday was the last day I drank heavily. And, and then I just decided that I wasn't going to go into the hospital still drinking. I couldn't do it. I can't. couldn't do that for my
0: wife. Yeah, I can imagine, like you mentioned, turbo brackets in one hand, baby in the other hand, still drinking. That would have sucked. Nice job. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I had an interview, gosh, forget his name, but a similar story, but he kept the gig going. You know, he had that, the, the, the date of his son, I think, being born, but he surpassed it, I think, by another nine months. And you nipped it in the butt three days before your daughter was born. You know, how'd you do it? Because a lot of things change. I hear, like you said, you have a new definition of what tired actually means. You went through a lot of stressors with that alcohol. I imagine that was pretty dicey a couple of times.
1: Yeah. I don't, I wish I could tell you the magic recipe, honestly, just for me and how I'm wired in a decade of noise in my head about it. I feel like I was just able to lean into the new role, you know, and the first time I saw my daughter, man, it just, it changed my world she's an unbelievable miracle. And just the weight of that, you know, and being there for my family, I felt like, all right, might as well go (laughs) just jump headfirst into the deep end, right? Just go ahead and, and, and do all I can to be, I'm not distracted from the sobriety, but there was enough else going on for me to just be filled with that love and filled with that newness of what our family is doing and growing that, I honestly feel like for me personally, it's a huge gift that we have her and that we have each other. And yeah, I don't know how else to articulate that. But I think between all those tools and a bunch of other things that have happened since then to help keep me sober, it's just been a really great timeline for me. I also kind of visualized my my daughter and my business and my fatherhood as being kind of an, an analogy for all the things in my life that I have the sort of divine responsibility to look over as all kind of now maturing at the same rate. So my daughter's so much more than a physical representation of my sobriety. But in some ways, when I look at her, I think, gosh, I have not spent a single day of your life drunk. I've been present for every day. And that is just, maybe it sounds cliche, but it's not made up that that it's just a true blessing.
0: Yeah, I'm not a dad, but that sounds pretty damn cool, Stefan. Nice job. Yeah. Yeah, that thank you. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, yeah, getting goosebumps. That's so cool. And you know, in in sobriety, have you have you have you encountered any hurdles, have you had any cravings and how have you gotten past them?
1: Yeah, I mean it's crazy because brief timeline since we've had her, we had a family trip scheduled to overseas, fully paid for, luxurious planes to New Zealand and Australia for Christmas and New Year's. So, And we're going with my in-laws and my my brother-in-law and such that are all the same age as me. So every night they're Ubering back to the places we're staying from bars. So from day one, I am now going back with my wife to do crossword puzzles while they go off to the bar and put my baby to bed. And that was tough. That was really hard because I felt like a little kid, you know, with my arms crossed and shrugging, you know, man, and I can't go drink, you know, like that, that took a little bit of time for me to just kind of ease into like that. And then I went, and then we came back and then to Denver, and then we went in February to an all-inclusive vacation to Mexico for a wedding. And so that's everybody Kung Fu fighting, right? For your ongoing listeners. Um, everybody stayed sober through all of that. I mean, but honestly, that's almost the larger than life aspect of the temptations that are almost like so obvious it's really been the subtle times when I'm back in my day-to-day life where, all right, it's hurdle after hurdle, right? Running a business, you've got just, you've got problems. you don't have problems, you don't have a business, right? So, like, that happens every day. But the one day where that last little strong, you know, that last little whatever account situation or employee situation or personal situation where I would have easily just, man, just stopped off at the liquor store and, and, and grabbed that old, trusty six pack or whatever those have been the really hard hurdles that don't come every day but that's when i really have to like hunker down with recovery elevator and listen and read and get quiet
0: Stefan, i love and how really, you said sorry to interrupt i love how you said there's those yeah. larger than life events great backstreet boys song by the way such as the all-inclusive hotel nice planes to new zealand and australia you can kind of foresee those things coming but it's the day-to-day stuff. And I also love the quote, if you don't have problems, you have a business. And I've gone through that before. That's totally true. But, yeah, it's like those day-to-day tasks that can kind of blindside you. And the addiction will start saying, all right, we earned this, you know, just like your, your cheat day type stuff. How do you keep that in check?
1: Well, I mean, boy, it's a portfolio of things I've heard people say, right? I've got so many arrows in my quiver of things I can do to hit after it. Um, my wife just knows. So I've got tons of accountability. That first thing is that there's no way I can come home with alcohol, and there's none in the house, which is good. Um, so I just go straight home. That's the first thing. Get in the house. Usually the first thing when I see my daughter or my dogs or my wife, that that's enough to kind of shake it up a bit. But if it's still lingering, then I you know it's just say I got to get quiet. You know, my wife knows there's some work I'm doing. I um, talk to her about it too. You know, she really is supportive about that. When I say look, some days I feel like I'm talking to you about this all the time, but I need to. I need to just let you know and she's just been fully supportive and really proud of me and and then Bluebell ice cream this is a free commercial for them <laughs> <laughs> Mint chocolate chip
0: yeah oh. uh stefan I, I i want you to play this podcast episode for your wife and in turn what what do you have to say to your wife
1: <sighs> I, I love you so much thanks for being on on my team we're a true team and and thank you for thank you for recognizing that in me and that has been <clears throat> it's been so monumental for me to be able to to truly lean on you so thank you
0: yeah we hear it every other episode we can't do it alone in fact you hear it every episode and you got a key in the most important person in your life your family so nice job on that one Stefan. you know is there anything that you would have done differently in this journey
1: in terms of so the, the post sobriety or pre-sobriety or what
0: yeah just the whole thing Maybe maybe let's focus on like post-sobriety, right around that time. I
1: don't know. I mean, the next step for me is to reintroduce some really meaningful fitness in my life. So maybe, and I'm starting to now realize, all that psychic energy going into dadhood and sobriety has made me have this weird mind trick to tell myself I can't really be doing the kind of fitness I know I can do. I mean, I've never had a strong athletic background, but before I became sober and before we had our baby... I was going to CrossFit three times a week, and I was starting to really get into good shape, and and that's a lot of work, but in retrospect, I was just trying to earn the beers. So it's hard to say. I, I feel like I've been really blessed, Paul, to really have all those different things going for me, but yeah, probably just not be just now trying out different, more gradual exercise programs and done it a little sooner, so I wouldn't be building the dad bod.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. But uh, and, and listers, I want to share with you part of an email that Stefan sent to me. Uh, he kind of mapped out a little of the story and I was like, I got to get this guy on the podcast talks about, you talk about your vision board and you talk about a domino on that vision board. Take it away.
1: Yeah. So years ago I was in a, a couple years ago, I was in a group development class. Can you still hear me by the way? I got
0: it loud and clear. You're doing great. Okay
1: just needed to switch where I was sitting. I was in a business development group and they had this exercise that the business development group was about more than just growing your business. It was about going internally to your life purpose and stuff. So it was really cool. But this one particular day that I emailed you about, they passed around a tin of dominoes and they said to me, to everyone, pick your domino and that you get to keep this. And we're all looking at our dominoes like, okay, what's this all about? And then they said, This domino represents, if you choose to accept it, the one thing that you need to change in your life or business, that once you change it will be the domino that knocks over all of the other dominoes. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. So I put it on my vision board. For those of your listeners that don't know what a vision board is, it's a really cool way to put pictures and words and whatever you want to look at regularly that represent the life you want to live. So mine has you know guitars all over it and beach pictures and hikes and stuff and powerful words and then right in the middle I glued that domino and this was a couple of years ago and still sitting in my office. But um, one day I well back then when I had to decide what that domino represented I think I I think I knew subconsciously that it needed to become sobriety, but I think I needed to make up a million other business sounding things because you had to tell the group too like what was your domino. So I said, my domino is, you know, better marketing prospects or something. And, you know, so it just kind of sat there. But then after listening to your podcast and before I emailed you, I finally realized, looking at that domino, that it is sobriety. One hundred percent has been to become sober in my life. Doesn't mean in that analogy that suddenly everything is fixed. In my mind, all those other dominoes are now more visible to me and can kind of, you know, be knocked down in succession now. It's, you know, life is still hard, but I can't, I can't tell you how many things I've accomplished in the last 10 months that I've been trying to do for years. And some of it's just the subliminal stuff that happens in your head, right? When, when you're a business owner and people say, I'll meet you at 8 a.m. and you say, oh, I'm busy. But what you really mean is, oh, I'll still be sleeping it off. <laughs> that adds up to a lot of meetings I finally started to have and a lot of really cool things that have started to really happen. As a result of finally believing in myself again finally believing that i could do you know that that static that i was telling you and your listeners about that was happening in my head for years was a part of me that said i can't really follow through on those commitments that i make to myself you know and so when i finally knocked over that domino and, and continue to have to make sure it stays down every day it's been so awesome to see other things you know like i said before there are still hard days we all know that but That was the first one. That was the first one and still has to be the first one always in the succession of things that are
0: going the way that they need to go.
1: I don't know if I've accentuated that exactly the way I said it to you in my
0: email, but but yeah, that was my domino. You nailed it it and getting sober, all addiction, it's confusing. I've done podcast episodes on that in particular, but for me, for you, and I'm guessing the majority of listeners listening right now, the domino is the booze. As soon as I knock that one domino down – which at first seemed like it was a 50-foot-tall domino weighing eight tons. Once I got it going, so many doors opened. And a lot of people, like you mentioned in that business group, someone's like, well, I'll get a six-figure income if I change my marketing strategy. Nothing wrong with that if that's their Mm. domino. But a lot of people, they keep searching for what their domino is, but we found it. How cool is that?
1: It seems like a genuine true blessing, to be honest with you. It really seems like a, a secret revealed.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I feel like... The dominoes, I love how you said you got to keep it down, right? (laughs) Domino. (laughs) What? There's a spring on the other side of this domino? What the fudge? (laughs) Dang it. Yeah, Yeah, you got to keep the domino down. You always got to trick dominoes at times. But God, I love that. And that's for sure. I'm writing a book. It's for sure going in the book without a doubt. Um, Yeah, and, and walk us through a day. In your recovery, Stefan, how are you going to get 11 months, 12 months? We're only worried about today, but what's your plan moving forward?
1: Hmm. Well, I'd say just to keep, everyone says it, but take it a day at a time. You know, I still have these weird moments where um, anxiety creeps in when when I think, oh my God, I'm going to be retired and still have to be sober, you know, which is such a silly cognitive dissonance because I can't wait to still be alive at 50 and sober. That's going to be pretty awesome. Um, But today, all that matters you know, just sticking with each moment, each appointment, each situation, each encounter with people and being present with them. And then some of the stuff I shared with you before, just I've got my arsenal, my portfolio, and I know that it needs to change at some point. I need to continue to add, like I have met some friends along the way that have revealed their sobriety too. And they've kind of said, you know, AA has actually helped them quite a bit. So I'm prepared to go to AA anytime that I feel like it. I need to, I'm prepared to reach out to those same people who genuinely say call me anytime because they've been through it, you know. And I don't know about you Paul or your listeners, but it's something about changing, I've had people sit down that I'm just meeting authentically through, you know, just business and networking and such that feel the need to share their sobriety. And I haven't said anything about it. It's just kind of a weird coincidence and then and then I can kind of listen to them and be there and be present and then also share with them my story a little bit so then we have this connection and so it feels good even just to be on your podcast because I feel like so many of your guests have helped me, you know, just that knowing that we're in this together, I think, and those other arrows in my quiver are my plan.
0: I love it. And what's what's on your bucket list, Stefan? My life bucket
1: list in general. You pick. Well, I would love if the songs that I write can be played by people I've never uh, met, purchased, streamed however the world's evolving for that so I've always been kind of holding back on that but I've got even some country songs that I want to get licensed and uh, I think that would just be really really cool to finally get my songs noticed in that and actually work towards that being the case that's one of the things I think resonates when you say that
0: I love it and Stefan we have reached the rapid fire round if you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds that would be great are you ready Okay. let's do it <laughs> cool We'll let's do it number one what was your worst memory from drinking?
1: When I was about 21 or 22, my best friend got married in Buffalo. And we I flew out, and it was open bar. And so I decided to drink everything I'd never drank before, <clears throat> like white Russians, Manhattans. I mixed every kind of alcohol. But then we went to the—a bunch of us were driven to stay at a house of a friend in town that night. And the house I went to ended up still having a party going on fridge full of beer pool tables fire pit outside and i just drink every single person including the owner of the house to bed and i was supposed to find my way inside the house but instead i slept out in the grass i thought it was this romantic moment 58 beers into the night that i would sleep in the grass and wake up with the sun but instead i woke up the next morning with people taking pictures of me asking me if i knew where i was And this is kind of funny, but it's also really the worst situation because I ended up apparently getting up to take a leak, losing my shoes, stubbing my toe on the neighbor's doorsteps and walking into their house. And somehow it was unlocked and I fell asleep on this old lady's couch and she woke up and found me there and called them and luckily said, I think someone from your party's here. And they all came over and they were laughing and it was a big guffaw, you know, ha ha ha. But at that moment, I was just like, this is out of control. This is unreal. How can you wake up somewhere? I mean, I already didn't know where I was going to be, right? So when you wake up and someone asks you where, if you know where you are, you already kind of knew you didn't know where you were. That's one thing. But when you start, I started to put it all together. It was the most shameful, embarrassing, crazy. People still know me as that guy
0: from that circle <laughs> Stephen, the crazy part about this is this is age 21 and like we said the red flags are so apparent <laughs> back then but we got to keep drinking for like a decade longer and in most legal jurisdictions that's not cool with the law like you dodged a pretty big bullet there <laughs> yes yeah none of them are okay Breaking with that right <laughs> Wow uh, yeah we've all heard of the aha moment when was your oh shit moment besides that one <laughs> indicating that you really can't control your drinking
1: yeah, I mean, it was just the conglomerations of times of trying to control it. The morning, everyone's heard it. The morning promise not to, and then the evening crack open a million times. I think the the last one was the Moab one, probably. Just real, realizing that there's no controlling that beast. You just need to slay it.
0: Oh, yeah. There's no leash you can put on that beast. It's got to be in the cage for good and slay it. I love it. Yeah. What's What's your favorite resource in recovery?
1: My wife and second to that recovery, Elevator.
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast, Stefan. In regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received?
1: It's also a business piece of advice, but it's three words, faith, belief, and action. If you have faith that you're going to have the situations and the tools you need, belief that you can do it, and you also take the action, that's the recipe. That's been really good advice for me to remember day to day.
0: And what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about getting sober or are already doing it? Just do it do it. The other side is way much better. Six total words for the last two questions. Faith, belief, action. Just do it. I love it. And before you depart, give listeners your own customized. You might be an alcoholic if line.
1: You might be an alcoholic if you rotate the liquor stores you go to on the way home, so none of them think you're an alcoholic.
0: Yeah, that works. That works. <laughs> <That> works. <laughs> Stefan, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. We've all heard that being of service is helpful in our recovery. But being in a state of mind where being of service with zero expectations is hard to achieve. What I mean by that is we're told that we need to be of service in recovery. Sometimes we take action, but there's still a little bit ego in that action. We say, okay, I'm going to go help others, but in the back end, I still want to help myself. Pure service of only wanting to help others with no regard to the self is what we're trying to achieve when we say being of service is beneficial in recovery. So here's an experience where I accidentally fell into this being of service state of mind. I'm walking up a fairly busy hiking trail a couple weeks ago. It is a lovely afternoon and my standard poodle Ben does some business. Does a number two, I wrap it up in a bag and I leave it on the trail for me to pick up on my way back down. Don't really wanna carry that load with me the entire way. On my way back down from the hike, I see a bag of doo-doo, stop and pick it up. I take a step forward and I see another bag. I think, wait, was it this one or that one? And so I do a strange thing. I pick them both up. And while I'm walking a couple steps further, I see another bag and I say, wait a second. I think this is actually the bag. And instead of placing the other two bags down and only picking up the third bag, I just pick the third bag. So right now I've got three bags of dog doo-doo in my hand. And really close to the third one, I see a fourth bag. I picked that bag up. And I know this bag wasn't Ben's doo-doo. And right now I've got four bags of dog doo-doo. I'm walking down and I see a dog in the action. I see an owner pulling out the bag to pick it up. And I say, hey, I got you covered. She picks it up, gives it to me. And she's like, oh my God, thank you so much. I got you covered next time. I was like, you know what? Don't even worry about it. And I kept picking up these bags on the way back. I get close to the trash can of the trailhead, and some guy's like, oh my god, let me help you. He rolls over, opens up the trash can. I've got like 15 bags of dog doo-doo in my hands at this point, and it feels great. Oh, Eureka. That's a fun way to end the podcast. Recovery elevator. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this.